standing on the ship while being fired upon with dear friends of his dying, Begin ordered those aboard the Altalena not to fire back, declaring, Milchemet achim li olam lo, never a war between brothers. Never, in other words, another civil war between Jews. Welcome to Bible 365, Episode 91, Civil War, Jewish Unity, and the Vision of Jerusalem. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. On the ninth of the Jewish month of Av, in the year 70 CE, Jerusalem and the Temple were destroyed by Rome. As bloody as the battle with the Romans may have been, Jerusalem was also, in the months preceding this day, torn from within by battles among the Jews themselves which were just as violent. Incredibly, even as they were fighting against the enemy, Jews were also violently battling amongst themselves. In the year 70, the city was originally divided into three very anti-Roman forces led by Jewish leaders who may have hated each other even more than they hated Rome. One faction held much of Jerusalem, another held the outer Temple Mount, and a third oversaw the inner sanctuary. These Jewish troops utilizing weaponry that they had captured from the Romans, were shooting at each other. So picture this, if you will. Every day, the temple service is ongoing. Sacrifices are offered on the altar. And meanwhile, arrows are flying, catapults are firing, Jews are shooting at Jews. The blood of Jews in the temple mixes with the blood of the animals offered on the altar. We have met the enemy, and it is us. Meanwhile, the Jews' true enemy, the Romans, could not believe their luck. According to Josephus, Vespasian initially refrained from launching a final assault on Jerusalem because he believed correctly that his work was being done for him by the Jews against each other. Thus, when the sages in the Talmud say that Sinat Chinam, baseless hatred, caused the destruction of Jerusalem, they mean that literally. It was Jewish infighting that so weakened Judean forces that the Temple and Jerusalem were ultimately overcome and destroyed. The terrible irony, as we will see, is that Jerusalem in its very origins as the capital of Israel was meant to embody the unity of Israel, and it fell to the Romans when the unity of Jerusalem was defied by the Jews. But almost 2,000 years after Jerusalem was lost, one man would resist civil war and help the Jewish state truly come into being once again. After the death of Saul and Jonathan in battle, David is anointed and acclaimed king in the city of Hebron, deep in the heart of Judah, his own tribe. That location may reflect the fact that not all of Israel is with him at this time. There are many still loyal to the house of Saul and to a surviving son of Saul, Ishbosheth. The most important member of this group is Avner ben Ner, leader of Saul's army. Chapter 2, verse 10. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel, and he reigned two years. But the house of Judah followed David. Thus, the civil war pits two tribes against each other. Saul's tribe Benjamin versus David's tribe Judah, with, it seems, many other tribes following Benjamin's lead. One of the leaders of David's army is his relative Yoav, and following a battle against the forces of the house of Saul, Yoav's brother Asael pursues the general of the house of Saul. Verse 17, And there was a very sore battle that day, and Avner was beaten, and the men of Israel before the servants of David. And there were three sons of Tzeruiah there, Yoav and Avishai and Asael. And Asael was as light of foot as a gazelle, and Asael pursued after Avner. Then Avner looked behind him and said, Art thou Asael? And he answered, I am. And Avner said to him, Turn thee aside to thy right hand or to thy left. 
and lay thee hold on one of the young men and take his armor. But Asael would not turn aside from following him. And Avner said again to Asael, Turn aside from following me. Why should I smite thee to the ground? How then should I hold up my face to Yoav thy brother? But he refused to turn aside. So Avner smote him in the belly with the butt end of the spear, so that the spear came out behind him. So he fell down there and died in the same place. Thus Asael, brother of Yoav, dies while pursuing Avner. Following a falling out with the son of Saul, Avner abandons the camp of Saul's house and decides to make peace with David and support his kingship. Chapter 3, verse 20. So Avner came to David to Hebron, and twenty men with him, and David made Avner and the men that were with him a feast. And Avner said to David, I will arise and go and will gather all Israel to my lord the king, that they may make a covenant with him. Yet Yoav, a leader in David's army, violates the peace and kills Avner in revenge for the blood of his brother Asael. And David feels anger at Yoav's act until his dying day. Verse 28. And afterwards, when David heard it, he said, I and my kingdom are guiltless before the Lord forever from the blood of Avner the son of Ner. Let it rest on the head of Yoav and on all his father's house. David goes on to eulogize Avner, the man who fought against him and who made peace with him. What this means is that at the heart of David's vision is Jewish unity, Israelite unity. For Yoav to violate the peace because of his own personal vendetta was to endanger that unity. In a similar way, when Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, is assassinated, David punishes the assassins in order to show that his focus, David's focus, is on joining the twelve tribes together, not on pouring his own wrath on those that had stood with Saul's house. Following the conclusion of the Civil War, the Bible immediately shifts to the tale of the conquest of Jerusalem, a city held by the Jebusites. Chapter 5, verse 6. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem to the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke to David, saying, Thou shalt not remove even the blind and the lame. Thou shalt not come here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. So the Bible tells us. The meaning of these verses is a bit mysterious. The statement of the Jebusites seems perhaps to reflect the fact that because Jerusalem was surrounded on both sides by valleys, the Kidron and the Tyrophian, the Jebusites felt that even those who could not see or walk could defend the city's walls. How exactly David overcomes Jerusalem's defenses is also not entirely clear, but there is a reference in the next verse to the water aqueduct of Jerusalem that seems to have figured somehow in the conquest and may have been used as a weak spot in the city's fortifications. Thus does Jerusalem become the city of David, or as Menachem Begin once put it, Jerusalem D.C., David's city, into which the man now acclaimed king by all Israel pours his heart and soul. The site becomes the locus of his vision and his dreams. But why this city? We will reflect more on this question in the chapters to come, but the answer must begin with the chapters that preceded Jerusalem's conquest. After a civil war against Saul's son, which pitted the members of his own tribe Judah against Benjamin, the tribe of his predecessor. David is seeking to bring the twelve tribes of Israel together and to find a way through which to emphasize the metaphysical destiny that unites them. Here, if you will permit the prosaic example, we can cite the wonderful film Miracle, about one of the most important geopolitical events of our time, the victory of the U.S. hockey team in the 1980 Winter Olympics at Lake Placid. The coach, Herb Brooks, brings together a bunch of college students from Boston and Minnesota and South Dakota that had played against each other, and so they hated each other and were riven by tribalism. Brooks, seeking to bring them together, would ask them, who do you play for? And the answer would invariably be, 
UMass or South Dakota. And so he would work them and work them on the ice together until the answer to the question, who do you play for, ultimately became, I play for the United States of America. And at one point, Brooks tells them, when you put on your uniform, you represent your teammates and your country, and the name on the front is a heck of a lot more important than the name on the back. Here, in the book of Samuel, David seeks to avert and overcome literal tribalism, to teach his subjects from different tribes that are all part of God's covenant people, that they are actually bound together. And this is why he chooses as a new capital the city of Jerusalem. As we saw in our study of the book of Joshua, Jerusalem is listed as both part of the territories of Judah and of Benjamin. Jerusalem is the only shared city in Israel, and it unites, therefore, the tribe of David and the tribe of Saul. And, as we noted in our study of Joshua, Jerusalem being shared by the tribes of Judah and Benjamin is sublimely symbolic because, as we studied together in Genesis, after being sold into slavery by his half-brothers, Joseph suddenly found himself standing before those brothers while disguised as the vizier of Egypt. He forces his brothers to bring before him his full brother, Benjamin. And then Joseph frames Benjamin for a crime, telling the others that Benjamin will now become a slave. In a stunning act of repentance, Judah, who had suggested selling Joseph, suddenly stepped forward, shielded Benjamin, and announced, Take me instead. And Joseph broke down and forgave his brothers. In this extraordinary act, Judah's sacrifice for Benjamin exhibited a repentance that united the tribes with Joseph and bound brethren together. And now, for David, all this is replayed for eternity in a single city that is shared between Judah and Benjamin. Jerusalem thus embodies the brotherhood of Israel and becomes forever the locus of Jewish longing, uniquely situated in order to embody the bonds connecting the Jewish people. This is the allure of Jerusalem, and this is how the city continued to unite the Jewish people, even after the Jews were scattered all over the world. And if Jerusalem fell against the Romans, it was for the rabbis, at least in part because the Jews themselves did not embody what Jerusalem meant when David conquered it. Jerusalem was made a capital by the king of Israel in order to end the civil war. And, while fighting against the Romans, a civil war between Jews allowed Jerusalem to ultimately fall. And then, almost 2,000 years later, Jews returned to the Holy Land and established independence. And two months after that moment, one Jew remembered all that Jerusalem meant and prevented civil war. On June 20, 1948, the Altalena ship under the control of Begin's militia, the Irgun, had come ashore at Kvarvitkin with badly needed arms and ammunition for the fledgling Jewish state. A disagreement ensued between Begin and the state of Israel's leader, David Ben-Gurion, as to the allocation of the arms on the Altalena. Ben-Gurion ordered the Israeli Defense Forces to surround the ship. A boy assisting in the unloading of its cargo fretted to Begin that those who had just come ashore from the Altalena might be fired upon. Begin assured the boy that this was inconceivable because, whatever might happen, he said, quote, Jews do not shoot at Jews. Begin proved badly mistaken. A firefight broke out, and the Altalena fled back to the Mediterranean, landing near what is now Tel Aviv's Frischman Beach on June 22nd with Begin aboard. Ben-Gurion ordered the ship shelled, and 16 members of the Irgun were killed. Standing on the ship while being fired upon, with dear friends of his dying, Begin ordered those aboard the Altalena not to fire back, declaring, Milchemet achim li olam lo, never a war between brothers. Never, in other words, another civil war between Jews. After leaving the smoldering ship with much of its arms cash lost forever, Begin went on the radio and again ordered his followers not to seek revenge. As I've argued in an article and commentary, this was Menachem Begin's greatest moment. 
the survival of the newly born state was anything other than assured, and shooting back however justified the self-defense might have been would have torn the people apart. In his memoir, The Prime Ministers, Yehuda Avner quotes Begin explaining his motivation, quote, Twenty centuries ago, we faced the bitter experience of the destruction of our second temple, the destruction of our capital, Jerusalem. And why? Because of our senseless hatred of each other, a hatred that led to civil war and to our utter ruin. End quote. This time, civil war did not take place, though it so easily could have. But we must ponder how these warriors found the emotional strength not to shoot back at those shooting at them. In his memoir, The Revolt, Begin, in describing what was called the Saison, when in 1944, Ben-Gurion's Haganah collaborated with the British in arresting Irgun's members, and Begin similarly ordered his soldiers not to seek revenge. Begin wrote the following in his memoir, from which I quote selected sentences. Quote, Strange as it may seem, for we are speaking of Irgun fighters, the decision not to retaliate, which ran counter to the very spirit of natural resistance, was honored by all of them. They were moved by faith, a profound faith that believed the day was not far distant, when all the armed camps in Israel would stand and fight shoulder to shoulder against the oppressor. We dared not destroy our faith by opening a bloody abyss between those who were still brothers. We saw our people in Europe in the endless procession of death. We saw the ghettos going up in flames. We saw the oppressor plotting against us all. And from down the corridors of history, we heard the echo of those other wars, the cursed internecine wars in dying Jerusalem 19 centuries before. Not logic, but instinct, said imperatively, no, not civil war, not that at any price. A human order would have been of no avail here. The order came from somewhere, from the depths of Jewish history, and it was obeyed, end quote. Begin and his men heard, in other words, that call that came from Jerusalem, D.C., from Jerusalem, David's city. The call of Jewish unity comes from Jewish history itself and from Jerusalem itself. Begin had wanted some of the arms of the Altalena to go to troops defending the old city of Jerusalem. The old city, in the end, was lost to the Jews in 1948. But in avoiding civil war, Begin obeyed the call to unity of the ancient city of Jerusalem itself. Now part of a united capital, the city of David embodies a clarion call to unity, reminding Jews that when one great Jewish leader heeded the city's call, the state of Israel defied the history of the Second Temple's destruction. And now, if Israel continues to hear that man's voice and Jerusalem's voice, then Israel can become all that it is destined to be. This is Mayor Soloveitchik, looking forward to learning together tomorrow, signing off.